Welcome to the Success Hacker Podcast. Ryan here. Uh, today's episode is a little bit different. I actually was at a trade show in San Antonio um, and somebody came up to me and started talking to me and specifically telling me the backstory of how she learned about Applicant Pro through a LinkedIn group where she'd posted a question and one of my sales reps had engaged with her and helped her solve her problem even though she never became a client and we honestly didn't think she would be a client. And so just a really good unpacking of the long tail of showing up in the world as somebody who's going to add value regardless of what you get back, not transactional, not a give to get, but just a give period, knowing that the greater influence you are creating will come back to you in the long run in one way or another. And so I stopped her mid-sentence, went back and hit record and just interviewed her right there on the floor. And, and really this talks about not just the value of that uh, outreach and, and giving, but also unpacking a bit of Applicant Pro's story of how we created a culture that does that and what that looks like on the backside and what it means for cultures and founders and anybody else along that way. So listen in. All right, so I'm a solopreneur. And I do work with a lot of different organizations. One organization in particular wanted me to research what is the best way to set up HR in a company of about 200 people. What industry is that company in? That company is a faith-based nonprofit that supports an entire denomination. Okay. And they provide pension services and health care. And are they growing fast, a little, They stagnant? are pretty much stable, about 200-person okay. company. But they, it's interesting, they said, I don't think we've ever gotten HR right. Like, I don't think we've ever, and I'm like, don't feel bad. I think a lot of people haven't gotten it right. But I said, let me poke around and see, at this time, what do 200-person companies do? So I put a note on LinkedIn in a group. You don't know who's going to respond. Like, basically, you're saying, please help me for free. That's what I'm asking. I had just about 20 people respond. One of them was Stephen Smith. So Stephen and I had less than a half-hour conversation. But in that half hour, he gave me phenomenal information that was very helpful for my project. But what he really did was build the brand of Applicant Pro, which I had not heard of. But after talking to him, I thought, I need to know who they are. And I, so here I am at this conference today. Right. I talked to Stephen months ago. The young lady comes over, played this bingo, and I'm like, Applicant Pro? That's a great company. Because of my conversation of less than a half hour with Stephen. Of the people you were talking to the other 19, were they HR managers, meaning they work somewhere else, they're just helping out a fellow HR person? They, were they solution providers or vendors? They were all internal HR practitioners. So they could be an HR generalist, HR manager, HR director, but they are people. Yeah, they had nothing to gain. One of the things Stephen talked about was there's a training guy who has been in the training field a long time who's a rock star. So whoever this person is, and I can't remember his name, but that stayed with me because I grew up in training. That's my field. So, but I know the importance. When you have a really good training person, that impacts your culture. That impacts your culture. And a lot of the really good training people we've just been around we've got a lot of stories right mm-hmm. so and that whoever this guy is and i can't remember his name but steven told me about him i'm like you should ask steven because 
if he if he made the call to you the right way, there's a recording of it somewhere on Refract that he can go back and replay and tell you what, oh, wow. what it was. It's it's interesting when you look at from a culture standpoint, right? And you think about what is the culture of a given company. And you take somebody who's like, what's a 200-employee company look like? How do they get HR right? Right. Right. And and you have to like one of and the And it big, varies. Yeah. It it's varies. It's not cookie cutter. And, and part of why it's not cookie cutter is, well, are they, that's the question I asked you. Well, it's not just about having 200 employees. It's also, what's the trajectory they're on? Are they rapidly growing? Well, then that sounds like a hiring is going to be a heavy concern. Right. Oh, are they about stagnant? Oh, well, that sounds like just managing their own team and keeping them happy right. and around will be a concern. Are they downsloping? Oh, that's a totally, that's a totally different, totally different situation. Thing. You could look at kind of like the the egos. There's a, a my coach is one of my coaches named Todd Herman. He's an author who wrote this book called The Alter Ego Effect. And so you think about the egos of companies showing up. And so you could say, okay, well, if we take this one company and we say, well, where do they fit in the greater competitive space? Are they mm -hmm. the big dog, the Goliath? Are they the David? Are they the up and comer? Are they the kind of like mid-range follower? And, and based on where they're at in that, there are egos that they need to have. The big dogs are squeezing the profit. They're running like this. Right. They have the most money and the biggest team and the biggest brand. We're running the economy of scale and squeezing the profit. And the, the default fail point is that everybody following them copies them. It says, well, we want to be them someday. We'll copy their approach. But the challenge with that is you don't have the money and brand and power they right. have. So David steps out on the field and goes, well, I want to be Goliath. I'll pick up his sword and shield, and he loses. And instead, you look at those and say, well, the ego of the startup guy is a disruptor. His job is to disrupt the status quo. Therefore, he can't copy it. Right. Because if he copies it, he's got to create something He's got to create something unique and different. Yes. And, and the easiest way to do that is you pick a very specific niche. You find who is disaffected by the big dog. Who doesn't like the mass offering because it's just not right for them and you go find that person you say well yeah. i'm just going to pour my heart into this person figure out what makes them tick and and give them that and as you come around the disruption curve the industry ignores you and then they start making fun of you and like those guys are they're so stupid why are they doing it that way that wow. doesn't work for the masses they're like yeah because i'm not trying to help the masses right because my customer right here loves what i'm doing everybody says we're dumb everybody says we're doing it wrong Taleo stands up and goes, it's just two guys in their garage, man. Those iApplicants guys who become Applicant Pro, just two idiots in their garage. Have you seen their system? Like, it's a joke. It looks nothing like Taleo. Yeah. Nothing like it. But with good reason. For good reason, because you didn't know any better. Yeah. But as you come around that cycle of disruption and trying to, like, become big without losing who you are, those types of things... Um, you have like setting that culture and determining like where a lot of companies struggle is they throw a normal HR person into recruiting problem. Recruiting's marketing. Yeah, it really is. It, it just, it's at, at the core, like for me, when I approach the number one situation I want to be in is when I control marketing and the product at the same time. Yeah. If you put me in a situation where I control marketing and the product at the same time, I can find a very specific target and market to them in a way they'll engage, and I can control the product so it delivers on In hiring, I want to control the message and the job opportunity. And if I control those two things at the same time, the structure of working for us and who we're targeting, then I get this very, very, very tight. That's why you're getting good people. That's I got why no you're problem getting hiring. Good people. And, and it, <clears throat> let me tell you, because I've just I've been around the block. 
And when I talked to Stephen, I'm like, first of all, he's a good person. And then he's talking about other good people. And then I realized this is a company that gets it. What do you think Steve's motivator is to talk to you? Well, I'll tell you what the outcome was. It was it really built the brand. So maybe that is his motivator to build the brand. Because the outcome was, I mean, here I am months later. My project is finished. My recommendation was submitted. And Applicant Pro is still in my head. As soon as I saw the bingo card, I'm like, oh, the nice dude. And that's exactly what I said to her. That nice dude. The dude who helped me. So trust me, there will be times where somebody is going to need your product. And that now... It might be a long time, but you and I both know, because I'm a business owner, sometimes you plant seeds that sprout years later, but that is pretty magical to have a half hour conversation. And when I did my report, I said, we have two role model companies, sadly only two. One is in Utah, really cool people though. And the other one is in King of Prussia. Let me tell you what they're doing and how I think some of what they do resonates in the world. But how sad, out of all those people I talked to, I was actually a therapist for many of the folks I talked to who are like, here's where we are. Yep. This is pretty awful. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so here. Connect to me on LinkedIn. I'll help you find another place. Yep. Because because it's hard walking that approach and it's hard like it's really, really difficult to be an HR person trying to solve problems without alignment. Without, or more specifically, without leadership. Because no matter how much HR wants to lead, you cannot lead and get in front of a moving train with a different driver in front of it. And so, whether it's the CEO or the management team, like HR can be a phenomenal partner, but they can't make up for a failure of leadership and vision and clarity about what you're doing. Should have been in my session this morning, right? You just can't make up for it. And, And if the hard part is for an HR person to make that choice of saying, I'm standing here in this space. I'm going to make it as good as possible. Yes. But at some point, I should go find a space to stand in that has a better leader. And and that, if I was in HR, then that's who I'd be looking for. I'd be very deliberate about my approach to finding my job. It wouldn't be about money. It wouldn't be about job title. It would be finding the leader at the top and saying, is this a place where I can feel that I can amplify what's going on? Or is this a place like if HR shows up and goes, this is... Doing this job is insanely hard. We are just struggling. It most likely is coming from a management team that feels and, and is replicating that down. Yeah. Man, economy's hard. And COVID. Oh my gosh, like it's so hard. This is so difficult. There's chaos everywhere. And so if if that's how you want it to feel, this very like scarcity-minded organization, yes. it's because if you there's this huge challenge between um scarcity and abundance right absolutely it's really hard to define this right the easier way to define it is creating or claiming value so when you show up in a marketplace do you say we're here to claim value there's 100 people here and it's our job to get more and more of those 100 people we're here to claim the value of this marketplace Mm. we're focused on market share we're focused on what percentage of the market we have and beating our competitors to take their share, their piece of pizza. Right. And and while that is something you have to do in business, it no. creates a huge amount of negative mindset. And it limits what you. It limits you. Because it says our pizza was given to us. Yeah. And we're just here to claim a chunk of this pizza right here. And when COVID happened, you go, the pizza just shrunk. 
So we need to play. So now there's less pizza. That's scarcity mentality. If you show up in this world as a creator, I can create value from nothing. If this pizza is not big enough, I can create another pizza. I probably had this lecture with my employees a thousand times every time where I'm like, Ryan? I'm just a baker. I just you, make more the pies. The universe has put us together. So let me tell you, so I taught at Temple University for a while, and one of my courses, we talked about abundance versus scarcity. So I said, I'm in business for myself. Right? There's a lot of people who do what I do. Right. A lot of people. But I never worry about that. Ever. Because, so there's a private business club in the city of Philadelphia. You look out the window and you look at all these buildings. And I look out that window and I see a sea of companies who all need what I do. There isn't a company, small or large, that doesn't need what I do. I can't live long enough to support all the need there is. There is no competition. And, and if they didn't. If there weren't, there's actually a really simple way to cause that to happen. Go find out what it is, the need that you solve, and figure out how to create the need so you can then solve it. And and so when you show up, like for us, we have a ton of small companies right now, and we brought them on during COVID, we helped them with hiring, and they start to hibernate, and you go, okay, wait, why are you hibernating? Why are you no longer hiring? Because what happened during at the beginning, during the talent shortage, they say, yeah. I have too much work and I don't have enough guys. Get me some guys to do the work. If I get you enough guys, then suddenly you go, I don't have enough work for the guys. So I no longer want to hire. No, we need to teach you how to do some marketing. Yeah. Because if, as a business owner, it's just, I'm surfing a surfboard with, with power wow. on the front foot, where I'm leaning into drive demand, and stability in the back foot, I can deliver it. And awesome. it never ends between like, oh, okay, step forward a little bit. Just step forward a little bit. Create more demand on this thing. And then we'll have to like pull back and make sure that my team can right. deliver on it. Yep. But it is the hardest thing this to explain abundance and scarcity. Because it's this very woo-woo it concept. Until funny. you can bring it down to something tangible where you say, okay, I'm going to describe it as claiming or creating value. That's so, great, marketing team, great way to what it. do you feel like your job is in this world at our company? Is your job to create a new marketplace with new demand from problems that are not being solved? Right. Or is your job to go claim some of the marketplace that's currently out there and beat our competitors? While that will happen when we do this, Different choices. this will not happen when we focus on that. Yes. Hey, salesman, what is your job? Is your job to create value and create new opportunities by helping companies solve their problems and then facilitating it? Or are you just claiming some of the active buyers out there and beating our competitors to them? Are you claiming that value? Are you creating value? Because abundance and scarcity is so vague. And so everybody's like, of course I'm abundant. I'm not a scarce thinker. And you go... Did you just get worried because we brought in a new sales rep that there was less pie? That's scarcity. Now, how do we solve that? It's the zero-sum paradigm. mm -hmm. But it's so hard for people to actually conceptualize. Because as a society, we have ingrained scarcity. We've learned it growing up. We're certainly learning it in the workplace. But when you embrace abundance mentality, and it's not woo-woo, and it's also not naive. Oh, it's not in no naive. way did I mean it was naive. Yeah, it but is. It's, it, Steve Jobs said, it's easy to connect the dots looking back. It's hard to connect the dots looking forward. And normally when you're focused on creating value, it means that you're also not transactional. I'm That's not awesome. helping you so that you'll pay me back. 
I'm helping you because that's what I do. And, and the payback will come in some mass form, yes. but because that's so hard for us to compute, compute the that's complexity what's of it. Right here. Mm -hmm. The complexity exactly gets really hard, and so you're like, oh, like this isn't fair. Oh, the worst word in human kind, fairness. We weren't put here for it to be fair. Oh, it will dude. never be fair. So the universe at yeah. work. And even if it's supposed to be fair, I work to find, make sure that people right. are treated fairly. But I am not seeking fairness for me. Because seeking it is a zero-sum game because it implies right. that there's a set that amount of available. So I hired Steve 13 years ago, 14 years ago. Of so all, he's been with you a while. Oh, yeah. Of all my employees that are there, I maybe have one that's been with me longer than Steve. Okay. Steve came on, and this is like super uh, transparent disclosure. Steve's a sales guy. Steve's one of my only sales guys at Straight Commission. And the reason why my others aren't is because it's really hard to show up like Steve and be that heavily commissioned. It's why I hire who I hire and why they're compensated the way they're compensated is to make sure they'll get on their heels and off their toes and be like, just here to help you. Exactly and if, if our marketing helps you solve the problem, then I'm good, even if you didn't buy. If you bought, that would be, I am preferably indifferent to closing. I went into an HR group that's full of prospective HR people and probably some vendors, but no vendors engaged you. And if they would, it would have been a turnoff because they would have led with, here's what we yes. do. Steve instead engages you just to add value. I'm part of this community. I'm here to add value. Yes. And the, so you ask the questions and he gets on the phone with you. Most likely, you may not realize it, but he probably asked you the same questions I did. So tell me about the company. Oh, it's a couple hundred yeah. people. Are they growing or not? Well, they're not growing. Okay, full stop. We're a hiring platform. That's a bad prospect. That's not a good prospect for right. us because but they're he, not hiring. He gave me quality. And so you stop and go, it doesn't matter. I'm going to expand outside of my sphere. I'm just going to solve the problem. Like we have these in our marketing flow, we have what's called a character diamond. This is how you set the stage for how you show up. You don't want to be normal. You want to be unique in relevant ways that are compelling and credible. And so that's how Steve shows up. He drops the bar and he's like, I'm just here to solve problems. So Do you guys have a book that you put together about your family? I've written a thousand books Dude, in my I'm, head. Let me tell you, <laughs> I am, I'm right there with you. Here's the thing. I think I would be more motivated to write a book with a CEO who gets it. There's only a I would in a second. And if but you added Because you have best practices, one, it would be a great thing for your organization as like, mm -hmm. a, business, like yeah. a spiky business card. But two, you have a story to tell because you're doing a lot of things right. I'm telling the universe you know put the, together. Do you know the secret? sauce of applicant grow from talking to Steve? No. So clearly it's the value creation, right? But Apple Pro is 270 employees growing at 40% per year. 10 years of growing the Inc. 5000 against Taleo and Google and Paylocity. You want to count how many CEOs are at a Sherm event with 200 people? None, right? We are 80% female as a tech company, 75% mom, 70% part-time, mostly work from home. Because you if you know special. your target and you know them, if you control the marketing, what I'm projecting and the delivery of it, you gotta put and I make this alignment, then that alignment becomes like, I know exactly what to do to solve for these people. You are rare. Um, not to say that there aren't, man, I could introduce you. Oh, there's no freaking rock star not, CEOs. Company in New Jersey, Bill Trust. Check him out. Bill rock Trust. star CEO. So when I, I do. Have you seen The Life of Walter Mitty? No. Oh my gosh. So go watch The That's Life a classic. of Walter Mitty. Oh, go watch The Life yeah. of Walter Mitty. But 
Anyway, those CEOs you don't see, and it actually like holds back their companies because it's so hard. It's super hard. There's a there's an author I need to introduce you to. Um, the Hero Effect. Have you read that book? I've heard of it, but I've not. Read oh it. my gosh, you got to read that book. But what, he has these lists. It was he was at one of the Sherman events I went to speak at. He has this list of what it takes to like what a hero is, and it's like they're wow. extraordinary people who refuse to be ordinary. And you make this list of all these parts, but the people you run into that are like that, they're not rare because there's an abundant number of them. Anybody could become it. But what it takes to become it is this list of things that nobody would admit that they're aspiring to. They do. They show up. But admitting to it comes with a level of ego that they're constantly fighting. So I'm a huge stoic. And so if you look at Ryan Holiday's book, The Ego's the Enemy. Yeah. And we fight that so hard to our detriment. So if you show up as the amplifier, there's a content marketing book that if you read that will totally change the way you're consulting. If you show up as Oprah to shine the light on that CEO, pull that value out of him, he never will. And I bet if you went to all those CEOs that you said were like me and said, You should write a book. Have you ever written a book? They're like, oh, I've written a thousand books. But man, publishing a book. Let me that you. requires and, some ego and that I'm doesn't always there. Like, you have models. Like, you have like the diamond. Like, capture that. That should mm-hmm. be in a book. That's a best yeah. practice that other people should follow. Here's why you need to do the book. Because you're not selfish. The fact that you are not sharing your best practices. This is the only thing that makes me right. It is selfish not to share that. You could really help a lot of other leaders who don't have the path. They don't know, yeah. but they could read that. And yeah, be it's interesting. So, I am going to follow up with oh, you. Oh, no, you should. Oh, dude, totally this following is, this up This is with only you. one of my companies. I have this other little sleeper company that I've been working on for about five years that in the last five years, I've sent 1.2 billion emails without asking for anything. 1.2 billion job seeker emails showing them jobs that were available for them. Do you know what? Last month, it was 75 million emails I sent. And if you know how this works, when you put it out, it's a boomerang. That's why, as a solopreneur, I'm not worried about work. How can Mm -hmm. that be? How can that be? Because when you put good out... Because if you've made enough investments for long enough, then you know it will happen, which causes you to make investments, which causes an abundant outcome. It's just really, really difficult to reach that point. People I mentor with, especially salespeople, it's really hard to cross the dip between a transactional situation and an abundant just going to pour it out there and it'll come back and it doesn't matter what I do. I can't burn this. I can just burn it. It doesn't matter because it'll just keep coming back because the universe will be like, why'd you throw this cash over here? Here, I think you dropped this. Go ahead.